You're listening to the Changing Lives Podcast, where we talk with health professionals, industry experts, and everyday heroes, changing lives on the front lines through emergency healthcare. I'm your host, Ben Cleaver. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, my guest today is Joe Carlick. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks, Ben. Awesome to have you. Can't wait to get into this conversation. Joe, you're a registered paramedic. Uh, you've worked for the London Ambulance Service. In fact, you grew up in the UK on the as a South Coast. South Coast, yep. Uh, you're, you've worked as a private paramedic here in Australia. You've run a, 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 a paramedic services company here, contracting to the likes of Warner Brothers Studios, um, and for the last year or five years, you have um, been a lecturer of paramedicine at the University of Tasmania, and now recently joined the training team at Australian Paramedical College as a trainer and assessor for the Cert Four in healthcare and the Diploma of Emergency Healthcare. That's a long intro, yeah. And I probably <laughs> haven't touched on even half of what you've done, Joe. But mate, I'm looking forward to getting it. You've got a really diverse and colourful career, so. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been an interesting and very exciting career. Yeah. yeah. Your passion is training yeah. um, and obviously paramedics. And so um, APC team is, is really lucky to have you. Um, we're going to get into hearing about your career experiences, uh, both in London and here in Australia, uh, your challenges, insights, uh, and your personal interests too, uh, which include your research and 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 interest in pra- the practice of mindfulness yep. uh, for, for for paramedics and emergency healthcare. So that is really interesting. Very personal interest uh, for me. Um, so I'm really looking forward to talking about that, mate. Looking forward uh, to it. Yeah. Now, with all of that uh, career experience. Uh, that you've had, and as somebody who appears to be as young as you are. Thanks. <laughs> I did shave this morning. <laughs> yeah, come on, mate. Uh, some would think that maybe you've had an easy ride and uh, that it's all come naturally to you, but that's not the way it's been. You've had some real personal challenges as well. Um, you've, you're autistic. You're on the autism spectrum. I am. And that's. And I'm really happy that you're happy to talk about that today because yeah, we're going to – so many people have got barriers to where they want to be and where they see themselves going. Um, and you've you've had those challenges too and we want to talk about how you've managed that and overcome that. So I'm more than happy to do that. It's also opened you up to a few superpowers, I think. Yeah, I, I think um, – I know we'll get into it, but I, I think particularly with autism, rather than looking at it as a barrier, I think look at what your challenges are um, develop some some skills and ways of overcoming them and work out what your superpowers are and work to those. Mm. So your superpowers really as an educator and as a paramedic, but yeah. not just that, right? Not, not just that. There are other things. You're, you're a champion skydiver. <laughs> uh, yeah, te- technically. I, uh, I probably wouldn't call myself a champion skydiver, ah. but um, I, I did. Uh, I started skydiving um this was off the back of a, a career break, actually. I was probably, uh, and th- this, I guess, is all interlinked. Everything we're going to talk about today is, is so so interlinked. So um, was was burnt out, essentially. Yeah. Just reached the point of burnout, which is really common in emergency service workers. And I knew that I had to do something. And, you know, uh, it's, it's difficult being uh, you know, a lecturer and a researcher and not following your own advice. Mm. And so I decided that I needed to take some time away from the workplace. Uh, I did that, traveled to South Island of, of New Zealand, ended up doing a, a tandem skydive in Queenstown, um, was was bricking it to be fair, was really worried about it. And uh, yeah, got back here, loved it, ended up doing two over there, came back, did my course and um, uh, down in Maria by Batemans Bay. It was incredible. And then naturally just ended up at the at the at the New South Wales champs and yeah entered the novice category and walked away with a a medal and uh, it's my only ever medal in uh, in sport so I'm pretty stoked about it but <laughs> it's a pretty humble community so it's really nice and uh, yeah it's good awesome you've you've worked with some um, sportsmen as well elite athletes uh, as a private paramedic here in Australia can you just briefly explain what your uh, experience has been here in Australia and we'll talk about obviously LAS um, but uh, yeah so here in Australia um, while I was sort of working uh, at the uni uh, I was also working uh, for a company that contracted to the NRL 
So I was uh, sat on the pitch, um, uh, you know, weekends and Wednesday nights watching the game uh, for free, getting paid for it, uh, which is even better. Uh, it's the sport I love uh, as well. So uh, it was great to be able to, Hang to on, watch we stop the interview because I'm an AFL fan, man. I don't know if we can proceed. <laughs> hey, look, I, I just had to pick the sport that was local no, to me, okay. right? Yeah, fair <laughs> All right, let's, let's shake hands and move on. But, um, yeah, it, it was good. Um Look, mostly we were there for airway management. Um, I, I can't recall the names, but, you know, there have obviously been some incidents in sports like that. Contact mm. sports have the potential for serious injury. Yeah. Of course, it's part of uh, what we do as paramedics is manage that. And so you, I was available to assist the team docs um, with airway management if anything was to happen. Okay. Yeah. Okay, wow. Um, so, and... Obviously, uh, we're going to get into uh, yeah your, your, more of your experience too, as I said, LAS. But um, it strikes me after meeting you and also um, reading your your brief, we sent you a few questions before the interview. Uh, your passion for the teaching side of this, and that's um, why you're here. Obviously, at the Australian Paramedical College, what do you love about teaching emergency medicine? So much, uh, but if I had to boil it down. It would be that it can be difficult, but I think if you truly understand it and you can read the room and you can read your students, you can make sure that they get it. Um, so this morning, for example, I was teaching ECGs, which tends to be one that can be quite stressful for students, but just breaking it down step by step. Um, so my keen interest is is in the teaching and I've discovered that that is one of my superpowers mm. so uh, being able to like I say get that read on the room on the room but really understanding the subject and really breaking it down just being able to describe it in lots of different ways um, yeah I, I, I don't know what more to say really just mm. uh, it kind of works I like it the students like my style uh, and I love it mm. Well, on that point, then, is would ECGs be one of those topics that you you kind of love to sort of nut out and help people? And yeah. if that be the case, how do you how do you go about teaching people, or helping people, students understand ECG? So ECGs and cardiac stuff is one of my interests, um, and I th I think you know it's easier to teach something if you're passionate about it. If mm. if you really love something, and just in general, I love paramedicine mm. so uh, ECGs for example I don't touch the ECGs for a good hour 45 minutes to an hour of that first session until uh, you understand the underpinning anatomy and physiology um, and it's okay. it's something that I, I've tried to uh, introduce into my teaching because I think sometimes the the understanding of anatomy and physiology isn't probably where it needs to be for paramedics. And we can look at it and we go, oh, I can't see how I'm going to use that upside down in a car, you know, on a racetrack in the rain at night. Mm. How is anatomy and physiology going to help me? So we sort of skim over it. Um, the problem is you, you're never really going to understand what you're doing, what you're assessing and what you're managing and what you're treating unless you understand what's going on. So for ECGs, for example, we will review the heart. We'll go through the anatomy of the heart, the cardiovascular system. Then we're going to touch on how it works, what can go wrong with it. And then this morning, as the students found, ECGs is then just a little bolt on. It's not this big, scary thing uh, because the, the understanding is there. So you've really got to have that basic knowledge. Uh, you've got to walk before you can run. Mm. Yeah, so Joe, as now an, an experienced trainer within emergency or educator within emergency medicine, where do you see students who are maybe new to the whole concept, um, where do they struggle m the most and how do you help them? Fantastic. Uh, and this is something I've been doing this week actually is it's, it's less about the content I find and more about the approach. Students tend to get so stressed and we, we always find, you know, we give them some skills and, they're aiming just for an assessment, okay? So th what, what tends to happen is you can see them practicing away in the classroom and all they've got in mind is an assessment a and they want to rote learn something. You know, they, they just, it, it, it's, it's sort of like prepping for a stage show, you know, like learning lines. And medicine isn't like that. If, if you learn in that manner, 
you're going to be really good at one particular thing. So that assessment, maybe a trauma assessment. Mm. Okay. But then if I throw something in, if I throw a curveball in and I say, oh, now there's a breathing problem or whatever it be, um, you can just see the stress build. Um, you know, some people become a bit emotional and that's because they've not focused on the structure. Um, so medicine is about the structure. Mm. You know, we use doctors ABC. We use the A to E approach. You know, we've got all of these acronyms uh, and ways of learning things. And it's about following that. And funnily enough, what I tend to say in the classroom is the further you go through your training, so you're going to do your Cert 4, maybe you go on to do your diploma. A lot of students want to go on and do their degree. Some may even go on to do medicine, right? Um, I'm also uh, an Australian Resus Council trainer as well. So I teach uh, ALS2 on the weekends. And the more and more training you do, the tighter and tighter we get to the A to E. It really is our structure. So... Mm. I believe in really building strong foundations, focus on the basics, nail the basics, yeah? If you've got those basics nailed, strong foundations to build on, you will never forget those. You don't, it's not as if we just teach it for, for Cert 4 and we throw it away later. Mm. You will stick to that through your whole career in emergency medicine. Um, so that's what I focus on. Uh, and I, I do, I think, bring the mindfulness into it. I say to them, look, you, you know, Let's just think about this laterally. Another big thing that happens is people trying to make shortcuts. Mm. Um, and those shortcuts might save you a few seconds, but it'll throw you out. Yeah, And, and you see all these weird little things being done. And people feel the pressure of emergency medicine. You know, They feel mm. the pressure of a crisis situation and they feel pushed to do things as quick as humanly possible. Yeah. But it's not about that. It's about doing things safely. And one thing that I learned in skydiving is slow is smooth and smooth is fast because um, you want to be safe. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Absolutely. So That's good. What we've done this week is we've slowed our students down. I've said, hey, just slow it down. And they've got time to think. And it's that allowing yourself time to think. And there are mm. so many transferable skills between emergency medicine and skydiving or any extreme sport, you know, is that sort of flow state. And again, mm. that links into the mindfulness, um, which is, I guess, what why I am where I am. Perfect. That that's such an that's such an important concept to grasp in all areas of life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's one thing that mindfulness and a mindfulness practice like meditation has taught me nice. as well. And I'm 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 not I'm no guru. But um, just approaching life, parenting, work in a way that's not a panic, mm -hmm. um, but in a way that's actually, no, if I give myself a few seconds to breathe here, yes, someone is in trouble. But if I can operate out of those principles, those base principles, um, and I can do that systematically and not rush here and there, I'm actually going to give them the most prompt and entire or accurate care. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, it, it, it's absolutely that. It, it's about, and we often say, you know, it's kind of like the duck or the swan. It's very graceful on top of the water, but the legs are going, you know, mm. 10 to the dozen underneath. And, and that's fine, but it's why you don't see paramedics running. Because mm -hmm. what happens if you sprint for a bus? You've got to catch your breath. You know, the last thing you want is, you know, a, a, an EMT or a paramedic turning up to you who's, you know, out of breath and starting to break a sweat. Uh, yeah. What you want is someone calm who, and yeah, even if I don't know what's going on and it is a crisis and I turn up and there's patients everywhere. Yeah. As long as I look calm, I make everyone else calm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it comes off in the classroom as well. You know, the, the, the teacher voice, that, that sort of slow, um, melodic voice, it, mm. it just captures them and it just takes the stress away. That's so good. Mm. We're not in a hurry. No, definitely not. Mm. Fantastic. That's a, that's, a, that's a great little nugget there that people can take from here until forever. Yeah. yeah, the room's gone very zen in here. Yeah. Even the crew are <laughs> chilling out as well. Let's have a moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, fantastic. I was going to ask you another question about teaching. What if you, uh, you've obviously taught in the university uh, at that level uh, for, for a while now and obviously 
brought that experience, work experience into that, and now teaching at a, at a Cert four diploma level. What are some of the differences and similarities that you've seen? I'm actually going to steal something a friend told me from years ago um, when I was considering doing medicine. And he said, Joe, it doesn't matter where you're at, so whether you be Cert four diploma, degree, medicine, whatever, he said it's like a stained glass window. He said it's all the same, just depends on how bright the light is coming through. Mm. So it just depends on the amount of knowledge. Um, the knowledge, I think it's all about the approach. You know, there's only so much that you can learn in a Cert for or a diploma, but they're great qualifications for, for what you need them for. You know, they're, they're, they're excellent qualifications, they're well taught, you come in, you get the practical skills as well. It's about how to implement them. I could teach, you know, uh, a, a primary school student how to give an injection. You know, we've done it before. We've, we've taught seven-year-olds how to do airway skills or give an injection or whatever just to prove the point that I can teach a child to do that. But the child doesn't know when to do it mm. or, more importantly, when not to do something. And I think that's the key thing. It, skills are just skills and yeah. people will probably be crucifying me for this because when i was teaching in the uni yeah we, we particularly during my last year there during covid uh we really struggled for practical time so i would actually remove uh time from from practicing cannulation i'd say look guys you know you, you're not going to nail this skill now wait till you're out on the road uh, when you're you know, doing it lots and lots, um, but let's focus on the knowledge behind it. Let's focus on how to interpret information, um, process that information and make decisions on that information. It's all in the decision-making. Mm. That's, that's really interesting. Um, most people would say practice, practice, practice. And of course, there's time for that. You build that muscle memory, yep. but there's plenty of time for that. Yeah. You know, the classroom is an introduction. Um, so if students are wanting to prep for workshops, it's going to be, you know, revising those learner guides. Because if, if you pass some of those units six, 12, 18 months ago, mm. you're not going to have that knowledge. You know, and as an educator, I know you're not going to have that knowledge. It's not going to be fresh. It's going to be hard to bring out of you. Yeah. Revise your learner guides, come in with the knowledge so that we can get you using that knowledge. Mm. The classroom is a very difficult place um, to to get perfection at anything because it needs to be contextualized. It needs to have real world application. And, and I see that in students as well is they wanna leave the classroom perfect. Mm. But again, we're educators. I know when you've got the fundamental skills, those foundational skills for you to build on. We'll mm. get the foundation. And then of course students go out, they do 80 hours of practical post-workshop one come in for workshop two, they do another 80 hours of placement. That's where you're putting those skills into practice on placement in the real world. You don't have to leave the classroom perfect. Cool. Yeah. So Joe, now you grew up on the south coast of the UK. Yep. And uh, at some point you moved to London. I did indeed, uh, 2006. Okay. Yep. Was that to uh, was that for study in paramedicine or was it for another reason? That, that, yeah, that was for my uh, degree, uh, which was at the University of Hertfordshire. I think at the time it was the only uni doing the course uh, from memory. Wow. Um, so yeah, I remember my one of my college teachers actually approaching me and saying, "Hey, look, I, I found this course because at the time it was purely vocational." Um, okay. Yeah, and I, I had never considered going to university, um, so it was really quite daunting. You know, all of a sudden, college teacher saying, hey, I found this to applying and uh, my dad driving me up there for the interview and being like, oh, wow, I've left my little town, um, had the interview and thought, oh, there's just like 40, 45 people applied for each place. I'll never get a spot. And uh, I got one and that was it. Um, that September, I was off at uni, 18 wow. years old. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Even fresher face than I am at the moment. <laughs> And so you went on to work for LAS, the London Ambulance Service. Um, what was that experience like? What's it like being a paramedic in one of the largest, busiest cities in the world? Hey, look, yeah, if you had to say one word, it would just be incredible. Um, just incredible. Um, there's so, I guess, look, there's so much, you know, we yes. could talk about this for hours, but um, the, the places I went um, within the same postcode, 
I could be, you know, in a, a millionaire's apartment overlooking the River Thames. And then my very next call, 300 meters down the road, I'm in someone struggling to buy food, you know, with, wow. in someone's apartment struggling to buy food. We're not used to that diversity here, that stark. Yeah, that, diversity that stark yeah. diversity and, and just the disparity and how it's just all there in, in one, you know, ecosystem type mm. thing. Um, but just incredible. I've, I've had calls to um, the Houses of Parliament. I've been inside the Home Office where you have to go through these weird doors that are like security bomb door things and, and there's signs to the bomb shelter. Um, I've had to go to some of the monuments, you know, um, into the, the tube system uh, underneath trains on motorways. I've... Oh my gosh, it's just incredible. Absolutely mm. incredible. It's busy, um, a hugely diverse population. Uh, and with that comes a lot of different medical conditions that you maybe don't see without that diversity. Mm. Wow. Surely that sort of experience um, was probably a good primer for you um, in not only witnessing and uh, experiencing diversity of you know human experience um but also obviously obviously just the training just the amount of practice that you're getting probably different from a, a country town um in australia or, or even the uk right definitely um both have their benefits um uh, i would say working in such a busy city and i think any city you know brisbane sydney melbourne it, it's going to be relatively similarly you've got these quicker turnarounds um so you may be on scene for a short amount of time your, your travel time to the job is five minutes to the hospital maybe 10 minutes or whatever and you so you get through a lot more mm. you see an awful lot more and i think what also happens is with with seeing you know that amount of jobs in a day you just you know Mathematics says you're going to see so much, and and you do. Um, there's great times delivering babies, um, you know, uh, maybe giving a drug, fixing an asthma attack or something. Um, can be that very quick turnaround. Um, uh, but then it comes with some some difficulties. I've had a gun pulled on me mm. in London. Um, I, I've had knives pulled on me, um, you know, and we do tend to see that on the paramedic and ambulance shows. It's not as often um, as some might think. Mm. Uh, you know, I've only had two or three, thankfully, only two or three episodes of, of violence uh, in my career. Um, but it definitely also has an impact on you. That quick turnaround time, um, the missing the meal breaks, the, the, the overtime. We all say that it's part of the job, and it is. You know, It can be part of the job, but it has a significant impact. Mm. And you know, coming from a small town... Um, going into a big city like that, there's a culture shock as well. And and so, yeah, I, I personally left London after a couple of years uh, and ended up moving only a few miles away in the UK um, to the next ambulance service um, to, to get back to the countryside. Um, longer travel times, um, longer with the patient as well. So you got to do maybe a bit more. Um, uh, but yeah, re really tuned in to... Uh, my values and my needs uh, and realizing that uh, again you know it was just just exhausted you know mm. weekends nights not seeing family not seeing friends and yeah being a paramedic your social life and your family life can certainly take a hit mm. um, but so glad I did it mm. it was amazing mm. yeah and paramedics can work in probably more diverse areas of the sector the health sector over there as I understand is that right yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was probably born out of a bit of shortage of health professionals. Mm. Um, so we had a, a real shortage of nurses, but it's really exciting. Paramedics work in uh, GP practices. They work in emergency departments. They work in um, medical admission units, but they also uh, can work in places or, or for teams such as like mental health response teams, mm. um, falls teams, stroke teams. Um, they can work in the the prison sector, police custody is so varied um, that becoming a paramedic has many more options. Mm. Um, I think it's going to come. 
Mm. I really do. I, th I think registration is an amazing thing that provides the professionalization that will allow us to advance our profession. Mm. Um, so, yeah, being a member of the College of Paramedics, coming in, doing a certificate, your diploma, and really getting into the profession, um, I think now is a fantastic time. Be ahead of the mm. curve. Yeah. So, and, and how does that then experience over in London compare to then coming here to Australia? And obviously, you haven't, you haven't worked for the state service here, but no. still as a private paramedic. What are some of those differences that you've seen? I, I think for me, um, my initial reaction, um, it, it felt quite protocolized. Um, and, and I think my initial reaction working at the uni was um, just following these scripts, these protocols, um, and particularly at the University of Tasmania in, in Sydney, you know, there's such an incredible team there um, with such a huge uh, variety of experience, experience mm. that how I mentioned earlier, you know, talking about just getting that structure and how to think that's really uh, pushed into their paramedic students and to see clinicians coming out, you know, and returning, you know, we've got so many Aussies over in London who are going to be coming back over the next few years. And, mm. and you can see, you can see how things are changing, going to that real clinical approach and um, really thoroughly using patient assessment uh, and bringing that back here and putting that into practice so i think that was the biggest thing i noticed um was was that practice style um but there's other challenges here and there's things that you know really took me by surprise it can be how long you wait for a for an ambulance your travel times to hospitals um the services how you know you've got rfds you've got your helicopter networks mm. um up here in queensland it, it's incredible and that was also quite a surprise um yeah. to me right What's what would you say has been a, a highlight in your career? Uh, there's probably many, but what, yeah. what comes to mind is something that has significant that you kind of carry. You know, one of those events, um, seemingly big or small, that that comes to mind as something that you feel like shaped you, uh, maybe inspired you to keep to keep going, working in the sector. Is there something that comes to mind? I'm actually finding that a really hard question, yeah. and I, I I don't know why. Maybe it's because there have been so many. Um, I I have every time I have moved on, whether it be to move to Australia or to come here to the Gold Coast, I've really missed the people I work with. Mm. Um, I think I I have learned so much from some amazing people. Um, Thing if I had to say, do you know, I'm just glad I stepped outside of the ambulance service. Mm. I, I think it, it's a highlight that has just been going for years and years and years was, was the confidence or to have the confidence to, to step outside of the ambulance service into independent or private practice, um, to have confidence in my skills and abilities, mm. to, to work in in sort of with sports with elite athletes um to have done stuff yeah alongside the olympics to have worked with incredible emergency physicians at festivals um to have worked in the film industry and, and then to come to australia and now be an educator um and and to get to pass that on i, I just love calling on my my experience mm. great answer um I'd love to talk about now your own personal challenges. Um, as someone with autism, um, many would see that a diagnosis, whatever it may be, as a barrier and a, a no-go to some of their career aspirations or what they want to do in life. And it strikes me as someone who not only um, needs to be cool, calm and collected in um, you know, an emergency situation, working with others, um, communicating with others, and then someone who then communicates maybe at the highest level of education as well. Um, and you, you seem to have really embraced that. Can we? Can you talk about how how you've been challenged? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got the diagnosis as an adult, so 
post becoming a paramedic. Um, and I think some of the challenges can indeed be communication. And so, yeah, autism, autism spectrum disorder, and I don't like the term disorder, yeah. Uh, but yeah, being on the spectrum, it is indeed a spectrum. Uh, so there's that saying, if you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Yes. Um, so it, it impacts people differently. Uh, and we've spoken about superpowers. And, and one of the great things is I've had some fantastic supporters around me who have helped me focus on my strengths, mm. recognizing weaknesses, but not beating yourself up about them. And I think that's the real key, uh, particularly with... Um, and my language around sort of medical conditions and disabilities, I don't like saying the word disability, you know, differently abled or whatever. I, I don't like to think of it as a disability. Mm. You know, we're, we're all on this planet together and we are mm. all different in our own way. It's fairly polarizing, is it? That's bad, that's good. Yeah. Know, disability is obviously bad. Absolutely. And, and I think that's the problem is that we talk about it as a disability and, and you mm. sort of get labeled, you know, and you're filling in a, a, an application form for a job, you know, any disability and you're like, oh, if I tick this, you know, I might not get the job. And do you know what? I do tick that box now. I never used to, but I'm like, actually, I'm going to tell you about my strengths. And particularly when I interviewed staff and if you talk to anyone who interviews for staff, they'd much rather someone who knows their weaknesses mm. and has learned to manage them than someone who isn't aware of their weaknesses. Mm. Um, challenges for me have, have uh, sometimes communication. So, um, you wouldn't appear so, Joe, but uh, <laughs> you've obviously done some work, mate. Yeah, look, absolutely. And I, I think that that can be the difficulty with a hidden disability. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do air quotes, hidden disability, yeah. um, that you can be taken on just your appearance. Um, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, I've had a lot of practice for this, but I'll, I'll tell you what, in my first few lectures at the uni, oh my gosh, I was so scared, right? My heart was in my throat. I couldn't talk. I had to get water because my mouth was dry. You know, it was just, but then you ease into it like anything, mm -hmm. you know? So yes, I can I can be mindful and, and very aware of the moment. Um, doesn't mean I don't feel no, those things. No, no. Um, but yeah, you're more aware of those things. <laughs> more aware of those things. Right. Um, but I'd say, yeah, look, communication, I, I think, yeah, if you Google any article on autism, it'll say communication is a, is a, is a thing, is an aspect, an element of that. Um, and a lot of, like I say, uh, working with a specialist with autism, I've learned that uh, non-autistic people uh, often have a lot of emotion embedded um in the words, in the sentences, in what they're trying to say, whereas actually probably one of the reasons, um, you know, good educator, good as a paramedic is, is there's no emotion. You know, mm. what, I, what I say is what I mean and what I mean is what I say. Mm. Um, so it allows communication to be quite clear, uh, but I guess at times it can come across a bit blunt. Mm. Um, and I certainly don't mean that to be the case, uh, you know, but if, if I you know, trying to interpret people's intentions and emotions um, and uh, trying to sort of essentially decipher, you know, lis listening to people. And, and for me, having a conversation with someone, it can almost be like I'm having to translate you know, English into another language. You know, it's that, it can be that level of effort. So it's pretty tiring. Mm. Um, you can be bombarded with questions by students. You just, you know, like mm. anyone, you're just using your brain. Um, and yeah, you can just get to the end of the day and, and be pretty pooped. Uh, mm. And I know that that's, that's the case for anyone, but there's that sort of extra level of interpreting and, and, and um, working everything out that can really um, smash you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been a, a real process for you to come to terms with that and see that as potential strengths. Mm. recognize the weaknesses as what they are or let's do the air quotes weaknesses um and and see the the underlying strengths in those and so that kind of moves me into this whole area of of mindfulness has that been a practice for you that has has helped you is that why you got into or you're interested in this sort of mindfulness practice is that the the catalyst it was definitely one of them. Um, I think sort of the burnout um, and uh, you know, working in 
big services with long hours um, and that sort of expectation of overtime, you know, running a business, um, it's definitely not your nine to five, you know, mm. being on set um, in London from eight in the morning till six. Well, that's the standard hours. I've then got to be in before the crew and out after the crew. Mm. We'll do a few hours overtime, a couple of hours overtime, you know, so um, you, you can have 14, 16 hour days quite easily um on your feet and then of course running a business maybe there's stuff happening outside of that yeah someone calls in sick uh and i was just acutely aware how you know we look after our physical health we go to the doctor when we've got pain we take medications we um try to eat well uh, maybe we exercise you know we we know that we should be doing exercise and if, if we're not doing it we know we should be and um, we know that we should be eating well mm. but we don't look after our, our minds. Mm. Um, and I saw this as, as quite a significant gap, particularly given the trauma that paramedics and emergency healthcare professionals uh, and other first responders and many other professions are exposed to. And I went, no, there's something missing here. Mm. And that's how I first got started with it. Mm. Very first got started. So let, let's break it down for someone who maybe who's new to this whole concept. Um, when you say mindfulness, you, you, some people might think of somebody sitting in a meditative position and you know doing that. But what is what is mindfulness? What are we talking about? And, and how do people start to practice it? Yeah. So uh, mindfulness essentially is awareness of the present moment. Mm. That's it. It's awareness of the present moment, but. When you start, it can be pretty difficult. Mm. And you've got to be pretty careful if you are coming at mindfulness from a, a place of trauma. You you need to have trauma-sensitive mindfulness. Um, you've got to have trauma-aware facilitators because what tends to happen is you can end up being a bit more present. And as you know, you sort of, you start to focus on the breath. So one of the first things you do is you focus on the breath because... It's 2021, you know, we are just constantly distracted by our environment, our phone, you know, and there's evidence out there that says how many times we look at or touch our phone, you know, there's that thing where you think your phone's vibrated in your pocket, but it hasn't. That's how sort of in tune with tech we are. Yeah, right. Yep. If you try to detach from that for a moment, even if you took 20 minutes out of your day just to sit down and think about the breath, not necessarily on breathing, but the breath because there's nothing else to distract you, you become more aware of your thoughts. Mm. And so that can be problematic for those who have experienced trauma um, because you, you can end up ruminating on some of the stuff that has happened. But the idea is to accept the thought for what it is, not have an emotional reaction to it. And again, it sounds much easier than it is, and it does take practice. Does, it? Yeah, you, yeah you, you don't go into the gym and lift the heaviest weights. You know, you start at the beginning and you work through. Um, and so maybe you just do 10 minutes. Maybe you go, maybe you just recognize that your head is full of thoughts. And I, I think that's the first step is just to say, wow, there are a lot of thoughts. There are a lot of things going through my head. Mm. And that's the first step is just recognizing that. Yeah. The next step would be to not apply judgment to that. Uh, and this is where sometimes we can start to lose people because they go, oh, this is starting to sound a bit, you know, a bit out there. And it's it's like not beating yourself up about something. You know, let's say you, you forgot to do something with a patient or you made a mistake, you know, learn from it, of course, reflect on it uh, and change your practice. But don't beat yourself up about it. Mm. You know, you, you know, um, and it's moving on like that. Oh, I forgot the milk. Now I can't do this or whatever. Um, and then then that's really sort of starts to develop um, where you're just accepting of the present moment, you know. And I think one of the key things about mindfulness is that it's not about having no thoughts. Because mm. uh, I think people sit there and get really stressed out because they're like, oh, I'm meant to have an empty head. No, it's not about that. It's about recognizing a thought that comes in, trying not to have a significant reaction to it, and letting it go. Um, and and that that is what, you know, I, I can do that for 15, 20 minutes, and I just feel so chill afterwards. Um, it's quite incredible. Mm. And but nobody's really good at it to start with. As you said, you don't go into the gym and lift the heaviest weight. Uh, I, I've heard 
a lot of people say, oh, I've tried mindfulness, but I'm, I'm, I can't do it. It's like, yeah, you can't do it. You, you're not going to be able to do it. Mm. Um, and almost can't do it is the first step of accepting that you can't do it. Uh, awareness of all the craziness that our mind is, is what's happening in our mind uh, at the time and accepting that as what it is uh, and not trying to push away what is happening yep. in your mind, but fully almost receiving it and embracing it. And that can be challenging. Yeah. If you're a busy person, you've got stuff on all that sort of stuff, but ex- especially so, as you said, if you're experiencing trauma. Mm, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, there, there are people out there that who, who know, far more than I do about it. I'm very much at the beginning of my research, finding it really exciting and finding the connections that it has to things like extreme sport. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some evidence out there that says actually those who do extreme sport have something called trait mindfulness. Generally, they just have a bit more inbuilt mindfulness in them and that's what they're using um, within that, that extreme sport. Oh, you that's know. interesting. Yeah, and, but you can build it. Um, you, you can build uh, mindfulness um, via practice. And um, again, there's a lot of evidence out there that says actually feeling a bit anxious. Um, so this this comes from uh, uh, elite athletes like tennis players, that, that kind of thing, where they say where they, they question them on anxiety scores and emotion scoring. And what they found is if you have a bit of anxiety pre-game, uh, and let's translate this to students, if you've got a little bit of anxiety pre-assessment that's actually really good for you you'll perform better um if you get the symptoms like you feel nauseated butterflies in your stomach feeling sick there's a bit of evidence to say that that might impact on your performance Mm. but the mental stress can be really good for you it actually improves performance so it's almost something to i love that idea of like something that i've wanted to push away like being anxious like i don't want to be nervous but it's a that's that's the stress in the pushing away i wish i wasn't so nervous but actually embracing that is like yeah this is a good thing this is going to give me almost um what i need to perform really well uh and that's just one of the examples of those of of mindfulness and how it can be so powerful right yeah definitely i i my my one of my uh tunnel instructors so as a skydiver we train in the indoor tunnels that you might have seen in the big cities and um, my instructor, uh, just fantastic guy. He once said to me, Joe, there's no difference between fear and excitement. It's just the interpretation of those feelings. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. You know, it's the same reaction, the same adrenaline reaction that you're getting. It's just your viewpoint on it. You know, it's either something scary or something exciting. And if you can start to, to, to bring it to the excitement side of things, you lose the fear. Wow. Wow, that's really important. So maybe apart from the obvious, um, I want to ask, how does what potential does mindfulness hold for paramedics? And do you see it as being some sort of um, future where it's a, a part of uh, the, the, the protocol? Um, yeah, can you talk on that? I really hope it is uh, something that becomes part of paramedicine. Um, I'm actually doing my meditation and yoga teacher training at the moment because um, I really want to be involved in this. Um, I've applied to be on a committee with the College of Paramedics as part of the wellbeing group. Um, And there is so much evidence out there, sadly lacking with first responders and paramedics, but there's so much evidence out there looking at emergency nurses and physicians that says mindfulness reduces burnout. It reduces anxiety, it reduces depression, it improves physical health. The evidence is there. We just need to be doing it. And thankfully, state services, um, you know, have uh, been listening to this. And, and you can see a lot of state services, um, you know, are um, now building programs to manage this. But, yeah, I, I very much see uh, courses and mindfulness um, having a place um, and, and hopefully at the front end, you know, why not be putting it into the degrees? You know, we, we are teaching our paramedics um, on their cert fours, on their diplomas, how to care for patients. Maybe they go on to, to university and they're then doing a degree. We're focused on the patient. Very little of that is spent on looking after yourself. Mm. Um, and so I really hope that we see some change in that area. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Um, so if someone's listening now hasn't maybe started a mindfulness practice and is maybe curious to, to do so, um, one, I would say start and give it time. Uh, but how, what are some ways in which they can start? How have you found benefit, like maybe in the, in the start? Is there, is there an apps that you would recommend or, you know, how, how does somebody begin? Yep. I, I think that there's the Headspace and the Smiling Mind app. Um, I forget which is which, but one of those is free. Um, there's the Sam Harris app. Um, I find the Sam Harris app, it's incredible and there's a lot in there. Um, I would recommend probably using the the Smiling Mind or, or Headspace app first. That's more of a, a beginner introduction. Um, if once you've you've got used to that, Sam Harris is probably a step up from that, and mm. his his work is incredible. He's um, his PhD in neuroscience, and he's uh, gone to Nepal and and trained with some of the masters in in meditation. Um, so he, his stuff is awesome, but I'd mm. say probably a little step on. Yeah, and it's somewhat intellectual, yes, as well conceptual. Uh, I've, yeah. too, I find Sam Harris has been really helpful for me, but I kind of have to have a break from his stuff yes. and maybe go to you know some of the apps that you talked about. Likewise, um, but I find it's it's inspiring though for somebody of Sam's caliber and education and knowledge in whatever you want to talk about about yeah. um, the world and you know, consciousness and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Sam can talk about it with the best of them. Yep. But he's putting all his energy into training people, all the best of his energy into his number one passion, and that is teaching people how to be more mindful. And if yep. that doesn't tell you that there's something, there's a nugget of 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 value there. Yep. Absolutely. And nothing will. Oh, my gosh, if I could meet that guy. Um mm. But you're absolutely, you're spot on, you know, if, and you can see it just happening everywhere. I think you, you can start to see um, whether it be yoga, because yoga is, is a form of mindfulness, you know, but it's with physical activity and it's really good for you. It's stretching. And as paramedics, sometimes you don't move around as much as you should. You finish late, doing long shifts, maybe you're not exercising. So yoga can be a great yeah. uh, way to get in, into, into mindfulness that has a, um, you know, physical, practical component component combined mm -hmm. with it um i think one key way to get into this is probably structure so with the headspace and the smiling mind app you know they they nudge you on your phone uh, and again we've sort of spoken about how phones can do that but um uh, they can give you a little bit of a nudge for seven days 14 days three weeks four weeks or whatever just say hey have you done your meditation today have you done your, your mindfulness um and it can be as simple as writing a gratitude journal Mm. whatever it is um but they that can be super helpful for beginners is is to have that um sort of essentially accountability you know maybe you do it with someone who holds you accountable maybe you use the app to keep you accountable but having that structure it's like going to the gym you know you're not going to see any change if you don't go mm. um but also you don't start the gym and go for seven days um, so it's also about building habits and there's habit building apps out there. There's, you know, putting something on your fridge and reward yourself. It'd be amazing. We love dopamine. Mm. That's why we love seeing notifications on our phone. That's why we love seeing likes on our posts. It's a massive hit of dopamine. You get that by putting a gold star on a fridge like you do for your kids. Um, but as an adult, you do that as well. Just the reward's got to be different, right? You know, maybe if I do this for a month, I get to buy myself this or do this or whatever um so i'd say it's about habit forming mm. uh, and it's about also a bit of self-compassion don't be too hard on yourself you know start slow a couple of days a week build up from there mm. that's excellent advice um so joe i think um coming to the end of um our conversation i'd love to know as somebody who's had so much contact with students uh, gone through your own journey. Is there any sort of advice that you would um, give to students starting out, whether it be you know in a in a cert four or diploma or university level, or those people kind of considering um, paramedicine, emergency healthcare, even healthcare in general as a career? Um, that's wide um, <laughs> a general question. But what sort of advice would you you package up for them <laughs> i guess i would say um 
take the stress off when you come to the classroom. Yeah. Um, you, you remember that the classroom is a learning environment. It is the perfect place to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Mannequin isn't going to die. Uh, no one gets hurt. You know, you've got instructors, educators around to help you um, use that time. And just remember, you don't have to leave in a position in a position of perfection. Um, it, it's just building foundations. Um, and my I guess my final bit there would sort of be the A&P, the anatomy, the physiology, the science behind it. It influences paramedicine so much or emergency healthcare so much um, and enjoy it mm. take it easy enjoy it and look after yourself fantastic mate it's been such a joy to talk to you Thanks, Joe ben. I really appreciate your time mate and uh, I'm I'm really pumped for the students at, at APC uh, they're going to get some you know some Joe time uh, at workshops and you know online uh, with your experience and your heart and passion um, for for education, um, I think um, you know it's just a fantastic, fantastic thing. So, thanks so much, mate. No worries. Thank you, Ben. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, awesome. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Changing Lives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving it a five star rating, writing a short review, or even sharing it with a friend. And of course, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Did you know we're also on YouTube? Just search for Changing Lives Podcast and you can watch our episodes in full HD video. Yeah. A huge thanks to Australian Paramedical College for supporting this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about the exciting and diverse career opportunities in emergency healthcare in Australia and which one is right for you, Head to apcollege.edu.au for more info and to get your free personalised healthcare career development plan. Special thanks also to our audio and visual engineer and editor, Jose Biotto. And as always, it's been a pleasure to bring you this episode. Until next time, don't stop changing lives. Changing lives.